We are in First uh, Peter chapter four. We're moving right along with First Peter now, aren't we? We uh, are in chapter four, somewhere around eighty percent done or more, I guess, with the book. But um, have you guys noticed how practical this book is? It's incredibly practical. I mean, every book really is. But um, you know, as as being Christians, we um, we appreciate the fact whenever the Word of God is so direct and showing us how to live this Christian life. And it's difficult. It's hard sometimes. And of course, what Peter was addressing uh, as the people were living in a culture that was uh, definitely anti-Christian. And of course, where we're at, we live in a culture that uh, is uh, not necessarily Christian, even though there are a lot of Christians in our in our nation. Uh, it, First Peter shows us how to live at home, how to live in the culture, how to live in the church, and how to use gifts. And as we do that, we uh, build each other up. And uh, so Peter is addressing every area of our our lives, whether it be at work, at home, out in society, society, um, in the church. And, of course, he's dealing with that as we look at that uh, this week. And where we've been in First Peter chapter four, he got into uh, the aspect of uh, living holy lives, sanctification, and then he got into in the verse seven where we were at last week and started off with really about who God is as he dealt with uh, sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. As we're thinking correctly, as we're thinking on uh, godly thoughts, thinking of God and communing with Him. As we have been thinking on Him as far as the Word of God is concerned, now we have a communion with Him. And as a result of being with God in His presence, then, and only then, can we really go out and serve Him um, in a way that would glorify Him. And uh, immediately after he says that, he starts talking about being fervent in love. He starts talking about the one another's and being um, obedient in in covering a multitude of sins and being hospitable to one another. So that's a key issue that Peter deals with. And we left off last week, uh, verse 10, which is dealing with serving and using the gifts that we have to be able to uh, to serve. Now, I've got a title tonight. I don't know how far we'll go on the second part of it. We're calling it, that's really creative here, serving and suffering for God's glory. Not that creative, but at the same time, um, the suffering part is probably a, a different part, even though it it culminates with where we're at here. But as Christians, giving glory to God, we we uh, glorify Him by serving one another. We glorify Him by suffering. And Peter has mentioned that quite frequently, hasn't he? God's will um, for us, uh, one of His wills amongst many other things is for us to suffer even though that sounds definitely contradictory to the way that we would we would like to think and the world thinking but um, and he uses Christ as the perfect example so let's go ahead and uh, pick it up at verse 10 we'll do 10 and 11 and we'll see where uh, we go from there as each one has received a special gift Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, 
is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that build-up, don't you? And that's why I say it's kind of interesting that it seems like it comes to a, a close there. And then he starts talking about suffering and he, and he starts with the word beloved. <laughs> uh, it gets into the, the pastoral aspect there. So we'll, we'll start with uh, the serving aspect. Serving others. And of course the word probably sticks out to many of you as each one has received a special gift employed in serving. Key word there is serving. Um, diakoneo. Diakonos, or our English word is deacon. We're probably familiar with that, right? That means to serve, or it also means to be a table waiter, and even better or worse, to be a busboy. The ones who clean up the tables, right? The mess after everybody has finished there. So rather than just waiting on tables and getting the, uh, the people the menus and such and, and getting their orders, it's cleaning it up. So uh, this, this is the idea. We're thinking very lowly here. To serve somebody is to do something that would be very menial maybe. Uh, could be very lowly. But it's not really lowly. What is up to people is down to God and what's up to God is down to people, isn't it? (laughs) We are to give our lives to serve one another. Now, the question is, is, well, how do we do that? Especially if one became a new Christian, they go, how do you serve? How do you be a busboy to people? I've never thought of it being that way. And so we ask this, how do we do that? And the answer is, we have the tool. We have the tools right here in the uh, verse 10 and 11. So the question is, how do we do it? The answer is, we have the tools. And it says right here in verse 10, a special gift. That's interesting. You know, you, we've dealt with spiritual gifts, I don't know how many times, over and over. Of course, down through the years, if you're in Ephesians, for instance, you, you, you cover that. Or in Romans, 1 Corinthians. And so we say, okay, here we go with uh, spiritual gifts again. And not to be redundant, but there must be something to that when you see it in different sections. It's really important for the church to um, really get a handle on gifts. And not that you will necessarily always know exactly what That's my gift. You may not know exactly what it is. It might be a culmination of all of them. So... I don't know how much we're going to touch on this. It might be so repetitious, but at the same time, it's a good reminder. And that's what Peter does so often. I think in Second Peter, he says, I write these things to remind you of these, right? And the Word of God does that quite frequently. So I don't apologize for God's Word. I'm just saying I, I hope that I can get some different kind of thoughts. I, I search different people trying to think of, okay, how can I say this differently than the way I've said before, although it means the same thing, but to make sure that uh, you know we can kind of tune in on it. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to work or not, but it doesn't matter what what uh, God says here does though. Uh, as each one, now here's the extent of the gifts, each one, that means it goes to everybody. Anybody who's a Christian, we know this, has gifts, has a special gift. 
Um, each one. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. That's one of the chapters that you'd find spiritual gifts. You can say, hey, yeah, where are, there, uh, are those chapters? Where, where are they at in the Bible about the spiritual gifts? I know they're covered quite a bit. Well, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of them. Romans 12 is easy to remember too. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and our First Peter kind of talks about it, even though it really doesn't give a list there, but of course, same kind of lesson. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the context in this chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Each one, everyone, all Christians, literally, you are one of a kind. Literally, each one. Even though we're in unity, we are together and yet we are individual. That's the beauty of Christianity and, and the body of Christ. We're all different, but yet we are one. The idea here is peculiar. You like that idea? Does anybody here like the idea of being peculiar? Oh, in the regular English language, I don't know, that doesn't sound so good. I, I already feel peculiar enough, right? I don't like to think of myself that way. We're unique. Is that a better word? I like that word better. We are unique. Very unique. Uh, matter of fact, there is no one like you in all this world. Now, it's interesting. Whenever I uh, I used to play in different places all over the United States or whatever, it seemed like every place I went, somebody would come up to me and say, Hey, you look just like the guy that played in the band before that was before you guys. I don't know how many times I got that. Hey, you look like this, my cousin, you know. And I always looked like somebody. I never saw that guy that looks just like me. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there running around like that, a poor guy. But I was, I'm going to tell you, there's nobody. There may be somebody that looks like us. We've been told we have a double. I don't know. But I can tell you this there is no one like you in the Christian body. And I think as. Um, MacArthur's always put it, we are spiritual snowflakes. Because there are no two snowflakes alike, right? Well, that's a good way to put it. And look how many snowflakes there are just in one snowfall. (laughs) Imagine that. Well, here are Christians that are spiritual snowflakes. There is nobody like you. Nobody. So, um, a believer is absolutely peculiar or unique to other believers. And to anybody, uh, I think a good way to understand it, Julia. Do you still do you do um, oils and such anymore? You still paint, right? Mm-hmm. You have a palette or whatever, right? You have different colors there. Mm-hmm. Basically, not a lot of colors, but if, uh, what primary colors basically? Mm-hmm. And to get the colors you want, you use all of those, and you have that one blend. And there's there's no artist that's going to do exactly what you're going to do, right? So a really good example, you take those colors and you come out with a unique thing that you were looking for. You're designing that. So you take your brush and and you paint what that is. Well, what God does is He takes this brush, uh, this palette, dabbles in with different paint in a sense, and He paints you like nobody else. Yeah, DNA, right? Yeah. That's right. So that's amazing to be thinking I'm glad that there is not another dentist running around. I'm glad for other people. (laughs) 
But uh, it, it's good to know that, um, okay, people are people and they're very much alike. Most Christians are alike in a lot of ways, but still yet we have that difference. And that's really, I think it's really cool that God does that in that we are individuals, but yet we are to be so close together in the body of Christ. I mean, what other thing can be like that? Uh, really can't. Like-minded. Be thinking the same way. Thinking the way the Word of God is. And it takes a lifetime to be that way. (laughs) That's why in Ephesians 4, when he talks about the gifts, uh, there are uh, pastors, teachers, uh, prophets, uh, and such, and the apostles he started with, and he gets on pastors and teachers. But they're there to equip the rest of the body so that they go out and equip each other or they're able to go to the lost just different ways we're equipping each other in, in that sense and using uh, that kind of gift and uh, so anyway we're distributing that out we're each one doing it universal uh, universality and uh, individually it's interesting um the word for one another, and if you go to Ephesians 4.7, we haven't gone to Ephesians yet, but there's an interesting Greek word there. And I wouldn't ordinarily even mess with it, but I think it's kind of interesting. But to each one of us, there's that each one, right? Each one, individual, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's a lot in that one verse. There's a lot in there. And we're not even going to concentrate on that verse very much. We might have to a little bit. Um, the idea of, of each one, there is a Greek word there. And whenever I put that there, what do you guys see already? I'm going to put an S there instead of a T. Each one, individual, unique, peculiar, odd. The word, in, uh, the, the word in the Greek is idios. And obviously, we probably are related to that uh, word uh, there in the English. Idiot. Uh, I'm sure some of us have used that word before or have been called that. Um, but the Greek literally meant to be peculiar or unique, different, Nobody is like him, okay? And so the the Greek would use the word idios. Um, it became to be known as one who was mentally incompetent, right? The, the village idiot. Yeah, that's just peculiar, right? You might have to give a commentary on that thought as you do it. You know, with our English, we see what happens with um, uh, elements that come off the original Greek. Um, but a good way to understand that is that, of course, you know, the idiot is the one who is peculiar, odd, strange. Nobody's like him. Um, so we get that we are of a unique color that's been put together. If you took 5,000 teachers in one room and sometimes at conferences you get those you know they're pastor conferences and they all teach 
but none of them are going to teach exactly the same way. They might have the same kind of mold, they might have gone to the same seminary, but that doesn't matter. They're still going to be different than the other guy. Even though if they try to be like somebody else, and that's not necessarily the best way to do it, you know, you might uh, really enjoy listening to somebody, but don't try to copy them. Just be who you are, who God has made you. There's some different things that you can learn from those individuals. But what God does is He dips into different color categories and paints you into unique color. You are special. And so God says that's special. You ever seen all the different animals that are out there that really look really strange? I think I was talking with Dwayne. Dwayne had some pictures uh, that he had from Omaha. And uh, some unique animals there. I, I say unique <laughs> because I had never seen anything like them. They were very peculiar looking. And he even had a picture of a roadrunner. Do you know, until just a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago I thought a roadrunner was a cartoon, and that was it. There really are roadrunners. Dwayne even said that he uh, saw one in Springfield around that area. Yeah, right, right around where you guys are at. You guys don't have any around there, do you? Or, or, or did have? You did? They do exist around there? Running wild? They're in Michigan? No, it's Tom up there. That's unique. <laughs> Because of that, I must be an idiot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody's seen that. Okay. Anyway, God makes us so unique. And then He gives us a measure of Christ's gift. Now, that's in Ephesians 4, right? Ephesians 4 7. So I'm kind of comparing Ephesians there with our Peter. So you can go back and say, wait, where did you get the measure of Christ's gift? He measures out that gift in the perfect way, and they're all different. All completely different. Uh, You might have a gift of teaching, or you might have a gift of mercy. You might have a gift of service. Uh, You might have a bunch of those just kind of blended in together, and you do all those. There might be more than one thing. You know, most people think, oh, there's one thing. There's there's this combination of what what, uh, God puts together, and you can't always pick them out individually. It doesn't matter. Just do what you do. You know? And that's kind of what he's getting at here. Hey, if you speak, you know, well, do it. If you serve, well, do it. You know, get out and do it. But they vary. Uh, all of these different gifts, whether it be one that's a, a lot like another one, yet it varies. It's, it's different. It's the measure. In Ephesians 4, 7, it's interesting where that gift comes from. Usually you think like in 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. But in Ephesians 4, 7, where's the source of the gift there? Christ's gift. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that too much. It only makes sense, doesn't it? Of course, the whole triune God is involved with that. Um, so, you received the gift. You received Christ's gift. You received it. Somebody gave it to you. We know who the somebody is. You didn't earn it. You didn't plead for it. You didn't pray for it. Right? You didn't buy it. You didn't generate it. You just somehow got this gift. Aren't you glad people don't pick out their gifts? <laughs> Everybody be like a quarterback or a running back, you know. Can you imagine a football team with nobody blocking and everybody's a runner? 
you're not going to get very far. Anyway, um, Christ's gift. What's the nature of the gift? Well, the word gift itself here uh, is dorea, and it means freeness. The freeness of it. It's absolutely free. It's like our salvation is free. And so that word Christ's gift emphasizes how free it is. Grace. Gift. Very much related there. And it's all for the common good in uh, 1 Corinthians. I think chapter 12, um, maybe verse 7. I'll see here. We were there earlier. Yeah. But to each one is given the manifestation, the outworking of it, of the Spirit for the what? You have a couple words there? What's it for? What is it, Johnny? Common good. The common good. We have a common area out there. You know, when you walk in, the building is called the common area. The House of Commons. Uh, it's it's that means it's you know it's for everybody it's for their good uh, you're to be beneficial to others we know that our gift is not meant for us it's meant for others so we use it for others it's never for ourselves and you know what somebody who is not using their gift I how many times have we you know said this but you can't stop using your gift without it having a very adverse effect on the rest of the body of Christ. Have you guys ever noticed that, experienced that? When somebody is not using the gift that they have and they've always been there and all of a sudden they're not and they're not using that, how much of an impact that really makes on the rest of us? And so it's uh, it's for the common good. I, I need that gift. You know, I need that 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 person has. Here's what I have, but it's for others. I I need your gifts. You know, I need your gifts. I need your gifts. Right? You need their gift. You know, all the way around, we really do, and that's why the body of Christ is is so important. Um, Measured out. It's measured out. It's a variety, a variety of gifts. I, I like this word um, at, right at the end of verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it, in serving one another, there's one another's, as good stewards, we'll come back to that, of the manifold grace of God. I like the word manifold. Manifold. Uh, multifaceted. Multicolored, I guess you could say. Multifaceted, multi variety, the manifold grace of God. Or gift, the grace, the unmerited favor, the manifold. Uh, it is so multifaceted. Uh, a diamond, whenever the sun, the light hits it, it's multifaceted. It's manifold, right? I mean, it goes and scatters everywhere. The manifold grace of God. Zach. You're into cars, or used to be. What's a manifold for? <laughs> Eldon or Johnny knows, right? What is it, Eldon? It distributes the... I don't know whether it's the gas coming in or the fumes going out or what, but 
it collects and distributes. Uh huh. And and you want to put your comment on there? <laughs> so it's been distributed, right? Yeah. That's and it's and it's coming from a lot of you know it's one source, but it I guess it takes it on out, right? It's to have that power, right? So the manifold grace of God. Uh, go back to First Corinthians twelve. Verse 4. Now there are varieties, the manifold, right? Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, one Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties, multifaceted, of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. The manifold grace of God. I think the church should glorify God through this service whenever he mentions um, the idea of gifts and the grace the manifold grace of God multicolored multifaceted um, what he does he's, he kind of divides it up here and shows there's basically two kinds of gifts they're the speaking kind and then there are the serving kind and I think people are going to use both of those in, in there but you can kind of uh, categorize them in a broad way. I think speaking gifts would probably be what is more visible. It's not that they're any more important than any other one. Not at all. But they're more visible. People are are audible. Preaching and teaching and exhortation, counseling. um, You know, that kind of thought. Serving gifts are kind of behind the scenes. Sometimes nobody ever sees what people are doing. And many people... Even in our little body, have a lot of serving gifts. We don't even necessarily know what they're doing, but it's the, the body is working in action. And there's a lot of things that we don't go around telling everybody, you know, what we've done or what we're doing. But those things are always clicking, you know, behind the scenes, and uh, really important, very important. Uh, good deeds, helping, just showing mercy. Uh, praying for somebody, praying for people in the church, uh, giving, administration. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, but that's if, if you want to boil it down, that's how you can get it down to basically two gifts. I think that's what Peter is saying here after he says, oh, by the way, there's a, there's a word here I missed. And I don't, I don't know how I missed that, but um, it's the word stewards. Stewards of the manifold grace of God. Uh, a little more fun here. We get our... Uh, that's oikonomos. We get our English word economy from that. Eh, that's still kind of tricky. What What we're thinking of here is that if you if you deal with stewards, we're taking something and we're using it in a correct way. Uh, you can use this oikai is dealing with like a, a house, keeping a house in order, for instance. Okay, um, somebody who is making sure that they're taking care of that. Well, we have gifts that have been given to us, and we're to take care to use properly what we have. Make sure that we. You know, it just doesn't sit on the shelf. 
we want to be able to use it because God has given it to us for others. And so therefore, um, we are to be good stewards. We think of being stewards of money. Usually that's what we think of, right? But this is being a steward of your gift. And so therefore, if you're not being a steward of your gift, you're actually in sin. <laughs> you're not a good steward. It means you, um, you're falling short of that. So that's the idea. Um, we're responsible for managing. That was a word I was trying to think of. Managing. A house manager. That's another way of breaking that word down. There's the economics. A house manager. Instead of just money, it's being able to manage that. Are you managing the gift that God has given you, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. House law. Namas. Law. So if you break those two apart, that's where it comes down. Right. Does that make sense with the stewardship then when you want, it's dealing with managing? Alright, now, um, and here's why I say it breaks it down into the two broad categories. Whoever speaks is to do so. As one who is speaking the utterances of God, speaking for God, whatever He has given us to be able to use that in whatever way it is to encourage somebody. Man, that's a, that's a great gift to be able to, to encourage. Incredible gift. Whoever serves, so one is speaking, right? And here is whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving. And gets back into that busboy type thought there. And he does it how? By the strength which God supplies. So we don't do it on our own. We couldn't. He takes His gift that He's given us and then He works in us. We work it out. We just uh, let Him fill us with His Spirit and use that spiritual gift to do what? Here's where the culmination of all this is. I love this part. This is what it's all about. It's too easy. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All we could get up and sing on that one, couldn't we? The purpose of our, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, last week, holiness, the purpose of our holiness, the purpose of our serving, and the purpose of suffering, which is where we're heading for in that next section, is for the glory of God. Everything. All things. Right? Everything. And and so He supplies us with everything. We don't have any reason to even take any kind of credit for anything because He's the one who's equipped us with all that we have. So in all things, God is glorified. If we take any kind of credit whatsoever, guess what? We're not giving Him the glory. We're stealing the glory from Him. The intention of our holiness, the intention of our love, loving others, the intention of our service, that it may glorify God. Um, This is what we call a... uh, I think Bob had it last week. We call this a what? There's a song called this. Doxology. This is a doxology. And glory is dealing with doxology. Uh, Doxology, if you break that down, and that... Our English is the Greek there, really. 
Um, this is dealing with a word, and this is dealing with praise. That's a word of praise. Toxology. A word about praise. A word about glory is uh, the idea. Verse 11 shows how we do it. It's through Jesus Christ, right? So in the end, let's say we were absolutely perfect and holy and righteous in our actions and activities. Before God, He sees us as that, but yet in our actions, uh, we still fall short. But let's say we have all of that, right? And we're out there just perfectly serving and perfectly using our gifts in every perfect way, this perfect gift that we do have. We still can't take any credit. Why? Because we have to give Him all the glory. Um, I like the word glory because that is what our life is about. You can look in the Old Testament, New Testament, put the two words together and get a good idea of it. You can say, what is glory? You think in the Old Testament the word is kabod, and it's dealing with weighty. Something that is heavy or something that one has riches, one has power. Uh, You can think of um, a powerful king, right? He's weighty. Uh, Importance. A man who has the the uh, the riches, the power, the importance, the the influence. He's like a man of substance. He's he's weighty. Uh, he's a heavyweight, and so that's the idea of of kabod. It's kind of a nuance of weight or heaviness. You go into the New Testament and you see this word doxa, and that complements what we have in the Old Testament. And it really has the nuance of a reputation or honor. Something that is... Um, when, you, when you think of God, you think of His inherent majesty, right? His inherent kingliness, His infinite worth. How about that? God is infinite in all of His worth, His excellencies. And so when you think of the New Testament and the Old Testament, you put those two words together, it uh, really has a really good ring to it. His whole being is just intrinsic uh, in the manifestation of His perfect attributes. Take all of His attributes, or as many as you can think of. You know what? uh, Omniscience, omnipotence, goodness, mercy, uh, grace, love, holiness, or... You know, you think of all the different things about who God is and what He is in those attributes. Put them all together. One great big package and how there aren't enough words that can come up with all the attributes of God. But He manifests His perfect attributes and it's expressed in Scripture by light. Uh, glorious light. Brighter than the sun. Um, go to go to Matthew chapter uh, seventeen. Matthew seventeen. How often, whenever we think of God's glory, do we think of the bright sun? And that's a good analogy. You know? I mean, the sun at noonday, you know, uh, noontime, and it's as bright as it can be. Uh, this is the transfiguration, isn't it? And he's transfigured before them, Christ was, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. 
this is the best way that humans can describe it. What's the brightest thing we know of? Well, the sun, you know, the bright light that is there. It's so bright it can blind you. Well, there is uh, Moses and Elijah with Jesus as Jesus has been transfigured. And you're talking about, you know, we think of those superheroes. Here is the superhero of all. And it's like he just peels it back in a sense and lets them see some of that glory must have been staggering. Peter and James and John and Peter even said, hey, let's just pitch a tent. Let's just stay up here forever. This is great. They're basking in this glory. It must have been incredible. They were actually seeing it. You know, we don't really see the glory of God visibly like that, but we do see it in the sense, in a spiritual sense, as Jonathan Edwards talks about so much, of seeing the glory of God through His Word. But here they really got a great glimpse, uh, like the sun. Well, that's not the only place. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. And again, we get somewhat of the same analogy. And this is Paul talking about his conversion as he tells it to... uh, King here. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. Now, how can you get brighter than? We can't even look at the sun. You know, we can't. We can't imagine being brighter than the sun because we haven't even seen fully the brightness of the sun. We go blind, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. Of course, Paul never forgot about when he was Saul. <laughs> he never forgot the appearance of Christ and this light uh, brighter than the sun shining all around him. And of course it made... Did he kind of lose his sight for a while? <laughs> he went blind, didn't he? Amazing. Um, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. The analogy of the bright sun. Glory. Something that just... Incredible! That'll knock you off your horse. <laughs> one six. That's not one six. I don't. Sixteen. Sorry about that. In his right hand, this is Christ. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And you imagine the brightness that he saw. These words are are like. Uh, it's not that he is the the sun, sunshine, but yet, how else do you describe it? Uh, seeing Christ uh, clothed in this robe and this golden sash, and his hair's like white wool, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, boy, that's a little bit different than what people saw him as he walked around here on earth that first time. And uh, whenever John sees him in this particular one, this is the revelation. Revelation is really revealing Christ. The revelation. The whole Bible reveals Christ and here is the culmination of it all. It shows him for who he is. I think this would almost make you want to bow down. <laughs> Get on your knees. You know, lie flat. You know, this is uh, a glorious God. Holy in all His attributes. So, cloud of fire, fire by day, right, no, fire by night, cloud by day, fire by night. Book of Exodus, you remember? The bright brightness there. 
And that was with, that was uh, God with His people in the wilderness. So that's His glory shining like that. To glorify God is to take the excellencies that we know of and to show forth those excellencies. I have to think back in First Peter chapter two. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the what? The excellencies of Him. He called you out of darkness. Look at the brightness that uh, He brought us into. Uh, The excellencies. Jonathan Edwards uses excellencies a lot in his writing he did. About the glorious manifestation of Christ. Uh, in street language, I guess, showing forth His excellencies. Or how about this? Make Him look as good as He really is. Try to make Him look as good as He really is. Try it, I, I dare you. Right? Proclaim, proclaim those excellencies. Um, let's say a photographer, in a sense, glorifies the natural wonder. And of course, really, the only glory is all to God. He's the one that gave those. But in a sense, when He takes that picture, you know, it's, there's an inherent beauty, let's say, uh, of the scene, of the majestic mountains, you know, with a with a stream, the grandeur of that that picture. You can say, oh, that's nothing but the Creator God that that uh, made that. You know, the grandeur, the glory that's there. Look at the colors of that. That's immense. This is incredible, right? The glory of that picture. But really, it's the glory of God, isn't it? In all things. God be glorified. All things. Go to Romans 11. We can't miss this one. If we're talking about a doxology, this is a grand way to end a great section of Romans after all the doctrine that he's given, and he's given such immense truth. And then Paul has gotten to the point, what else can he say? Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I have exclamation point. That's about the best we can do. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways! Exclamation point. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. To God be the glory. <laughs> you could just shout it out, right? Sing it out. That's, that's how He ends chapter 11. And He could have said, that's it. We don't need the rest of the book. This is it. <laughs> but no. He says, now because of this, this is how we live. Chapter twelve. That's that's right. That's right. That's that's what Scripture always does. It shows who we are, what our position is, how we've been equipped, what we've been given. We've been given everything pertaining to what life and godliness. Now he says, "Here's what God has done for you. Now here's what you can do as I have equipped you." He just doesn't say, "Okay, go out and do it." No, he tells us beforehand. And he shows that we have all the power that we need to be able to live the Christian life and to serve in whatever we do. All by the grace of God. For His glory. 
Oh, uh, go to Ephesians 3.21. Guy, uh, guys, we're not going to be able to go into the next section. I know you're really disappointed. But I'm going to hold that back. Just about ready to end it here. At the end of chapter 3. Now, this is this is another book that's divided. And you can basically put it in two broad categories. The first three chapters, for the most part, are doctrine. Teaching about who you are in Christ, right? Here's what God has done. An amazing chapter in chapter 3 and the whole idea of the mystery. And he finishes that section up and then he says, therefore, okay, don't live like the Gentiles and here you can do this and you've been equipped, you have spiritual gifts. That's what he's going to say in verse 7. But verse 21, uh, verse 20, now to him who is able, there's a power word, to do... Far more abundantly, far more abundantly, boy, adjectives, adverbs, I mean, just everything just screaming out at you here. Paul is excited beyond, okay, able, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the, what, power, I think it's probably dunamis, dynamite, that works, there's another power word, ergon, within us. Uh, uh, what? He said the power that works within us. The very power of God. The very power of God that's been measured out to, is there. The Spirit of God lives in us. He's able to do anything more than we can ever even imagine. All that we could ask a thing according to His power that's in us. And here's a verse 21. After that, what else can you say? To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Excited? Man, guys, we've been equipped with uh, His power, His gifts, everything that we need to live together in the church, everything that we need to live outside the church, in the society, in the culture, at work, at home. Uh, wherever there might be difficult situations, good situations, whatever, we have everything that we need. It's good to be reminded of that. And just think that it's it's because of Christ. And you look in Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, he talks about uh, he's revealed himself in the Son. Verse 3. And He is the radiance of His glory. The very He's the outraying of God. He is that outrang. Christ is. And the exact representation of His nature. means He is God and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as He has inherited a more excellent name than they the radiance of God's glory, the very outraying of Him, uh, the exact representation. What a great being God is. That's what we're to be saying all day long. And if you say, say yeah, well, that only, that's only second nature. Of course, I, I, I think that a lot. I don't think as much as I should, but don't we all do that? You can't help but. I mean, a Christian is going to be doing that. We think you know, about His creation. We, you know, you might, especially right now in June, there are a lot of things just blooming. You know, look at the gardens. Just look at, even some of the weeds are pretty. Where I work at, 
DNR. Don't throw things at me. They don't mow. I heard that they didn't mow the grass out in front. If you ever want to go, yeah, it's called the green building. It's not green, literally, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, that way, you know, might go a little bit too far on some things, but really, they don't cut the grass. It just grows. And I go, oh, man, that's got to be just really kind of weird. And it is kind of weird looking. But then this morning as I was walking through there, I go, huh, that's a pretty interesting looking flower that was coming out of there. And it was like a weed. You wouldn't ordinarily want it in your yard. But the way that it looked at that day with the sun shining on it, that weed looked really good. As a matter of fact, there are some Missouri wildflowers mixed in there. So it wasn't so bad as I thought. It just looks kind of funny with weeds growing up around and they never cut it. But um, it's it just just kind of interesting what a what a great being God is. Look at what He can do with just things that are just so ordinary, you know, or things that we wouldn't ordinarily want. John Calvin said this: We never truly glory in Him unless we have utterly put off our own glory. Whoever glorifies himself glories against God. So to really glory in Him is to be putting off our own glory. Dying to self. Seeing everything about about Him. Well, that's, that's it. And boy, we'd be suffering if we went into the next section as... Uh, the next section is dealing with that. Because he says, it's kind of like a therefore again. <laughs> As he says, beloved. Good word to start with. Isn't it kind of soften the tone a little bit? But he's talked about this a lot. And that is the thing. And uh, that's exactly what Julia just came in for. She wanted to hear that section. And so, let's go ahead and start. No. <laughs>